Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, we're going to continue to walk through Hebrews chapter 11. And, and two weeks ago, we began walking through what is undoubtedly the greatest, um, probably the most popular chapter in all of Hebrews, right? And I'm looking forward to walking through it with you again this morning. Week one, we talked about what faith is. Last week, we looked at the first three faith champions mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Abel, he had a worshiping faith. Enoch had a walking faith. Noah had a working faith. Now this morning, we're going to look at Abraham, and we're going to look at Sarah, and we're going to look um, briefly at the patriarchs of the faith as well. Our message point this morning is this. History proves that God is faithful to his word. All of us know people that have not been faithful to their word, right? How many of you have ever had someone break a promise to you? How many of you have ever broken a promise to someone else? All of us have been there. All of us have done that. And, and all of us um, um, will probably still be in that. But here's the thing. God has never broken a promise to you, nor has he ever broken his promise throughout human history. As we walk through our great um, and look at these great champions this morning, we're going to see that to be true. Notice our first point. Abraham's living faith. Again, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 19 together. So if you want to open up your word and turn with me there, we're going to break up each one of these sections of scriptures to coincide with each one of our points. But let's look at Abraham's living faith. Beginning in verse 8, we read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. You remember when you were young and it was time to play some street ball? And, and you would line up your buddies, and you would, uh, you would appoint two captains, and each of those captains would choose their team. You know, one guy would say, I'll choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. Who did you never want to be? The person chosen last. How many of you were chosen last at some point or another? Yes. All of us were chosen last at some point or another. What I love about Abraham is Abraham was not picked last. He was not picked next to last. He was not picked second, third, or fourth. But he was chosen first, wasn't he? It is as if God looked down from heaven and looked at every single person that walked on the face of the earth and he looked down at Abraham, and he said, I choose you. And I want you to know this morning that God also chose you if you are a believer in this room. He gave you the breath of life, and he created you for a purpose, and that purpose is to know him and also to change the world. What we see within our focal passes this morning and within the pages of God's word is this. God called 
and Abraham obeyed. Someone has said that obedience is the daughter of faith. I think that is so true. Obedience gives evidence to our faith, right? Reaching back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, we read of the account when the Lord called Abraham. At that point, his name was Abram. He had not received his new name. Um, But we read these words in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. God called Abraham. Did not call him when he was 20, did not call him when he was 40, called him when he was 75 years of age. When most of us um, will be in the midst of retirement, God was just getting started with Abraham. You know, pretty, pretty amazing when you think about it. Just proof that you are never too old to be used of God to change the world. Next, we see that God called And what did Abraham do? Abraham obeyed and he left. God told him, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He told him to leave everything he knew, everything that he cherished, and he told him to go to a place that I will show you. He told him to go without even telling him where the destination was. It would be like you and I packing everything that we own into a suitcase and going to the airport, getting on an airplane, and that pilot having the ability to fly us wherever he wants to fly us and just leaving us on a tarmac with our suitcase in hand. Can you imagine if that happened? How many of you would sign up if that's what God told you to do? If he told you to go to the airport with your luggage and, the, and, and wherever you land is where you're going to take up residence. Anybody do that? We got one back there that would that'd be willing to do that, okay? Um, at least there's one. Um, I don't know if I could do that. It would be a very difficult thing to do, especially when you think about leaving everything that you have ever known behind. The thing about this call was it was a call to greatness, wasn't it? God called Abraham to a future blessing. As we read through those first four verses of Genesis chapter 12, what do we read time and time again? That God is calling Abraham to bless bless him and in order for him to bless others. God, we read in verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God promised to lead Abraham to a new land, to make him into a great nation, to make his name great, to protect him, and to give him a great inheritance. God's call was a call also, not for the here and now, but it was a call to something great that would come in the future. They waited for the blessing of the Lord. In fact, neither Abraham nor his kids nor his grandchildren would ever inherit the land of promise. They took up temporary residency in it, living in tents, but it never became theirs. When did it become theirs? 
400 years after they lived in captivity in Egypt, they were finally given the opportunity to claim the promised land. You know, when I left First Baptist Church of Wiley to come here to be your pastor, it was one of the hardest decisions as well as one of the easiest decisions that I ever made. It was hard because I was walking away from a church, that the only church that I really ever knew. I was walking away from a pastoral position that I held for 18 years. My kids were, were going to leave a church that, that they grew up in from the moment that they were, they were born. All of their friends went to that church. From a fleshly standpoint, that decision was hard. But it was easy because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was calling me here to be your pastor. Just as Abraham took a step of faith, what is it that you need to step out in faith to do? Maybe it's to start a business for the glory of the Lord. Maybe it's to go on a mission trip to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and around the world. Maybe you are called to go share with a lost friend that does not know the Lord. Maybe God is calling you to go back to school to get an education to do that job the Lord is calling you to do. Maybe it's to partner with the homeless shelter for the glory of the Lord. Maybe it's to volunteer at your kid's school or your grandkid's school for the glory of the Lord. Maybe it's to teach a growth group class with here at Friendship for the glory of the Lord. Maybe it's to coach a, an upward basketball team for the glory of the Lord. What is it the Lord is calling you to that you need to step out in faith to do. You may say, I'm too old. Or you may even say, I'm not old enough. You can make excuses all you want, but if the Lord says go, you can be certain that he is going to make provisions for you, right? Just as he made them for Abraham. There's one glaring problem with one of the promises that God made to Abraham. He told him that he would make him into a great nation. How is that a problem? Well, his wife was barren. She could not have children. He was 75 years of age when the Lord called him to go. Notice our second point, Sarah's awakening faith. So turn back to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 through 12, we read, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who, who had, had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. If you were here on Mother's Day, um, you remember that we looked at Sarah. Our title that Sunday was Sarah, the Not-So-Perfect Mother. Sarah certainly had flaws, didn't she? She would laugh at God. She would question God. She would even play God. Do you remember when Abraham was 86 years of age and Sarah um, thought that God was not going to give her a child or give Abraham a child? What did she do? She played God by giving Hagar, her servant, to Abraham so that Abraham could have a child with her. We know the outcome of that. Ishmael was born. After he was born, fighting would occur within Abraham's household. In fact, um, we, could, we could say that that fighting has not stopped today because there is war still going on in the Middle East, isn't there? Why is that? Because Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands instead of trusting God. What I love about each of our faith heroes is that none of them were perfect 
Every single one of them had flaws, Sarah included. But her lack of faith would turn into a trusting faith when she, or when the Lord reached down and opened her womb and gave her and Abraham a son. Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100 when the child of promise was born, when Isaac was born. God's word makes it abundantly clear time and time and time again that our God is the God of the impossible. What appears to be impossible with us, God can always make possible through him, right? Notice next, the patriarchs preserving faith. In verses 13 through 16 of Hebrews 11, we read, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Notice these truths about the patriarchs of the faith. Truths that clearly attributed to them being added amongst the great hall of faith. First, they died in faith. Each of these champions died as they lived, faithfully believing God and trusting in him. Again, they were not perfect. They had flaws, but in the end, they trusted in God. Next, we see they never received the fulfilled promise. Each of the patriarchs of the faith, each of Abraham's immediate descendants were, were promised that they would be made into a great nation. Their descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky and the graves of sand on the seashore. They would inherit the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, Abraham again took up residence within that land. Isaac and Jacob took up residence within that land, but it was never their land. Yet, they dwelled in tents for all of the days of their lives. It would be hundreds of years after this before the Israelites claimed the land of promise. We are told that they lived as strangers and exiles on earth. These men and women certainly wanted a land to call their own, but they recognized that this world was not their home. They looked towards a heavenly, eternal home, didn't they? In verse 16 we read, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let me ask you a question this morning. What home do you long for most? Do you long for your earthly home? Maybe you have a, a, a vacation home that you long to get away to periodically. Is that the home that you are longing for in your heart most? Are you longing for a heavenly home? Those are great temporary dwellings, but many of but may all of us long for our heavenly eternal home. That is the one that matters. The writer tells us that for those who are faith-filled men and women, there is a heavenly home prepared for us in a heavenly city. You remember what Jesus told Thomas 
and the other disciples in John 14, verses 1 through 6, we read, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the the, the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, the Lord right now is preparing a mansion for you in the heavenlies if you are a believer. Isn't that good news this morning? You know, I long one day to be able to come and visit your mansion in heaven. I long one day to walk the streets of gold with you and the loved ones that we've done life with that have already gone and preceded us in death. I can't wait for that day. Abraham couldn't wait for that day. The patriarchs of the faith couldn't wait for that day. May you and I also long for that home more than we long for this home. Notice next, Abraham's testing faith. In verses 17 and 19, through 19 of Hebrews chapter 11, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Years after the birth of Isaac, the Lord told Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, after these sayings, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, here, or, and, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What does Abraham do when the Lord tells him to go and sacrifice his son, his one and only son, the son of promise? He obeys, doesn't he? This act of faith, to me, is the greatest of all of Abraham's acts of obedience. In fact, it's probably one of the greatest acts of obedience in all of God's Word on full display for us this morning. Abraham obeyed. Why did he obey? Because Abraham's faith was so great that he knew that God would be true to his word. Abraham knew that one of two outcomes were going to happen on that day. The first one, Abraham believed God would provide a substitute. Of the two outcomes, this is clearly the one that Abraham must have hoped for from the time that he left his home and, 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 and marched toward this sacrificial place. He hoped and prayed that God would provide a substitute. And we know that the Lord did, right? In Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 through 13, we read, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and, and, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. I mean, he, he's got that knife um, held above his head, and he is about to thrust it into his promised son, Isaac. In verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. 
He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Here is the thing. If God did not provide a substitute for Abraham, Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his son on the altar. And what I love about Abraham is this. Abraham believed that God could resurrect his son. Nowhere in recorded history had that happened before. But Abraham believed that if he were to sacrifice his son on the altar, that God would certainly bring him to life again. Isaac was the child of promise. Through Isaac's offering, all our, our, our offspring, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Isaac was not plan B. He was not plan C. He was not plan D. He was the only plan that God had given Abraham, wasn't he? He was plan B. A. In verse 18 of Hebrews chapter 11, we read, Of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham did not know everything, but what he knew is that God would be true to his promise. Sometimes in life we are called to do something that we just do not understand, right? Having a believing faith is having a faith that knows that God will take care of all of it. Abraham walked with the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. What an example of the faith for all of us in this room this morning. Here's the deal, folks. I pray for me and I pray for you that all of us will stay as close to the Lord as Abraham was. As we close this morning, let us remember that the writer of Hebrews was writing to a group of people that we're trying to figure out if Jesus is better. If Jesus is better than the old sacrificial system, better than the old covenant, better than Abraham himself, better, better than the patriarchs of the faith, the writer just pointed out to us that the Lord stopped Abraham just short of sacrificing his promised son, Isaac. But what all of us know is that the Lord will not, would, would not stop short of allowing his promised son, Jesus, from going through with being sacrificed for our sins on the cross. The father allowed his son to be a sacrificial lamb for us because he knew there was no better way for a broken, sinful world to be reconciled to our holy God. Jesus would die on the cross for our sins, and he would be laid in a borrowed tomb. But we know the outcome. That tomb would not be able to hold him. Three days later, Jesus rose to life again, providing a way for all of us in this room, all of the people outside the doors of this church, to be able to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and be gifted the gift of eternal life by faith in him. Jesus said to John, again, in verse 6, I am the way and the truth in the life, no one comes unto the Father except through me. There is just one way to God the Father, and that is through God the Son. In conclusion this morning, let's look at faith in action and wrap up this message this morning. Each of our heroes of the faith 
this morning demonstrated their faith by obeying God. Abraham obeyed God. Sarah obeyed God. Their children and grandchildren would obey God. None were perfect, but each would die men and women of faith. Are you a person of faith? How are you obeying God today? How are you demonstrating your faith on a daily basis? Have you taken God at his word and obeyed as our faith champions have? His word is clear. In order to experience the gift of eternal life, we must believe in his son. We must believe that he died on the cross for our sins. And we must take a step of faith and obey him. And the Bible is clear. If we will do that, we shall be given the gift of eternal life. Do you believe in Jesus Christ this morning? Do you know that if you were to die today where you would spend eternity? If you do not know, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Our takeaway this morning is this. The Lord is faithful to his word. Always faithful to his word. This morning during our time of invitation, I want to invite you, every believer in this room, to the table. This morning we're going to celebrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate the new covenant. That was established the night Jesus celebrated that last Passover with his disciples on the night of his betrayal. And inside each one of these cups, there is a wafer that is at the top of the cup. And this wafer, this bread, represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. The juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us to provide a covering for our sins. This morning, let us remember what Jesus did for us and what Jesus has provided for us. And let us be grateful for the new covenant of grace. We read in Matthew 26, 26 through 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I'm going to be standing over here to the side, and I would love to share with you how you can enter into a relationship with him. If you're here this morning and you just need prayer, I'll be over here, and I would love to pray with you. But during this time of invitation, I want to invite you to come and, and grab one of these um, um, cups with wafers, and, and you can take of the Lord's Supper here at the front of the altar. You can kneel if you want, or you can go back to your seat, and you take this as you feel, feel led, okay? I'm not going to walk you through this. You take it as you feel led. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and then as the Lord leads, you come. Father God, we come before you this morning.
Just thanking you again, Father, for your love for us. We thank you, Father, for the examples of the faith that you have given us in your word. Father, none of these faith champions were perfect. All of them had flaws. But when it was all said and done, they lived as they died faithful. And may that be said of all of us in this room. Father, I pray that during this time of invitation, if someone does not know you, they will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. I also pray during this time of invitation that, that you will just speak to each one of us as we take of this communion. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you feel led, you come.